Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold a couple of spots that we'll be referring to in today's study, one in Matthew chapter 10 and the other in Proverbs chapter 19. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in part two of a series we're calling Dominant Force, okay? And let me, by review, if you're joining us for the first time, just kind of review what we covered in part one, where we laid kind of the basis and the foundation for this series by defining clearly what a dominant force is, how that relates to you and me personally, and the implications of that in our relationship with God. A dominating force is simply someone or something that is more powerful and has more influence on you than other forces or influences, right? Now, in the space called your life, God declares in his word that he desires to be the most powerful and the most influential force in your life. More than people, more than culture, more than feelings, more than fear, God wants to be the dominant force in your life. Now, why is that important as a Christ follower? Well, first of all, and most fundamentally, whatever is the dominant force in your life becomes the axis, all right, the pivot point for your self-perception, all right, and how you think about yourself. And your self-perception, how you think about yourself, your identity, what's true about you, um, then drives your energy and leads to an expression. Okay, so very, very important to discern and to decide what's gonna be the dominant force in my life. Why? Because whatever that force inside is, it's gonna train you on how to think about yourself. Secondly, when you're trained how to think about yourself, okay, how you think about yourself now informs and pervades every dimension of your life, your relationships, others, purpose, meaning, service, or not, okay? So very, very important to know why that inner dominant force that's driving you to be you uh, is the Lord. Now, we all know that there's a battle uh, going on for control within. Turn on the news. I mean, what makes news is people who've, who've lost a, a battle for control to something negative. Or, on the other hand, it's so cool to see a story that inside of them something positive is, is in control. We see death and life, right? We see heroes and villains. Where's that all come from? It comes from what force wins the battle within. And in part one, we learn the basis for surrendering to God as the dominant force of our lives, intellectually and experientially. Intellectually, it makes sense because he's our creator, okay? Which means he's wiser, which means when it comes to, well, everything, we should surrender to him because he's smarter and he has our best interest in mind. But then experientially, not just intellectually, but experientially, it makes sense too to surrender to God and have him be the dominant force in your life 
Why? Because the Bible says that when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, we experienced kindness. We experienced his mercy. We experienced his love. And we experienced his grace in his person and in his work on our behalf. So it's not just an intellectual thing. Yeah, God's smarter, he's more powerful. I should surrender and make him the dominant force in my life. No, there's actually an experience with Christ himself personally as a believer where you are on the receiving end of supernatural kindness, supernatural mercy, supernatural love, and supernatural grace, which disposes you to go, I'm surrendering my life and control of my life to him. Okay, now in part one, we asked, so is God an accessory in your life? Just one of many forces or is he everything? Is he the dominant force in your life? Does he have primary influence, primary control, primary authority? Or does he have secondary or tertiary control, influence, and authority? See, just one among many things that influence you and make you who you are. So we laid down the basis and the foundation today and for the next four sessions, here's what we're going to do. We're going to explore four powerful reasons Jesus gave to his men to keep him the most influential force in their lives and to get us thinking in the right direction for this study and the ones to come is I want you to think about expectations in relationships, okay? Expectations in relationships, all right? All of us have relationships. All of us have expectations for those relationships. And expectations in relationships are either A, the unseen killer in the relationship, or they're a positive connector. You're like, what do you mean, Kenny? Well, if you have unknown or unverbalized and differing expectations in a relationship, okay? They're unknown and they're uncommunicated, okay? But you have those expectations. That litters, literally, litters a relationship with a couple of things. Misinterpretations and misunderstandings, wait, three things and massive frustration because misinterpretations in relationships, misunderstanding in relationships, because of differing expectations, always results in massive frustrations in that relationship. Now, when someone says, or if you've ever heard a buddy say, you know, this relationship, shouldn't, it shouldn't be so hard when referring to someone they're connected to, you know what they're really saying? They're really saying, I had different expectations for what this relationship would be like. Now, let's flip it. Clear and communicated, all right? Operative words. Clear expectations and communicated expectations, on the other hand, are very liberating and very empowering and very positive, right? For any relationships. Why? Because you know what to expect, okay? No surprises. Can I get a hallelujah on that one, right? I mean, guys, come on. You know, like if you're in relationship with someone, a wife maybe, and you have uncommunicated and unverbalized and unclear expectations, guess what? 
that means that your floor of the relationship is a bunch of eggshells because you're you're guessing, right? You're not connecting, but communicated expectations, all right? Do a couple of powerful things. Number one, they eliminate guessing, right? You don't have to guess anymore. And then number two, it fosters connecting in meaningful ways. Keyword, meaningful ways, right? When I know the expectation of the other person that I love, that I'm interested in growing a relationship with, and I, I know what their expectations are, um, then I can work to satisfy those expectations and move the relationship forward versus what? Not communicate them and keep the relationship frustrated and stagnant, okay? Now, let me build a bridge, right? In your relationship with God, he has crystal clear expectations for it, right? And he pulls no punches. And that's what we're, we're reading about in this series. He is very clear. He's like, I wanna be number one in your life. I wanna be the most powerful and the most influential force in your life. Period, end of story, right? Now, how can he make such a bold ask? And that's really where I wanna get to in this conversation in Matthew 10 with, with the disciples because he, he's gonna ask them to do some stuff, okay? Which is gonna go against the grain and foster this battle within over who's got control, who has influence, and who has authority in their lives, right? And Jesus, to start off with, in this discussion in Matthew 10, he, he talks about how, hey, listen, if, if there's some certain future realities, right? I'm telling you, there's some certain future realities that are coming out here that should shape your present energy down here, right? And that's how we're going to start Dominant Force Part 2. If you have the downloaded notes, okay, uh, look at the verse at the top, which is Proverbs 19, 21. We're going to read it together. It says this, we humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purpose prevails, right? What do you have there? In God's word, you see juxtaposed next to each other what it means to be a human being, all right, which is a free moral agent, intellect, emotions, will, right? You got a choice. You're not a robot, okay, who just does what it's programmed to do. You're a free moral agent. So humans are always being given options. I mean, shoot, in today's digital jungle, talk about options, right? So humans are given options and they're brainstorming options and plans. And then there's that word, all right? So juxtaposed next to us and we have all these options is, but God's purpose prevails. Okay. So there's our options, and one of our options is God's purpose. And our plans and options, they may or may not work out, but God's word says, God's, God's purpose, that's what prevails. So it's sort of like you got options, and you can choose your flesh, you can choose culture as your primary influence, 
you can you can let the devil through culture in your flesh control influence guide or you could choose god but these purposes over here they don't prevail in the end right god on the other hand and his purposes the certain future reality is is that they prevail all right now there's a guy in the Bible, I love his story. His name is King Solomon. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and he's stuck between the two, okay? He's exploring options in the world and with his flesh. And then he's got God, right? And he is giving full vent, okay, to his flesh over here. He's, he's gonna run an experiment, all right? And so he runs the experiment and he goes full flesh, full self, full self-importance, full self-satisfaction, full self-gratification. I'm gonna do what I wanna do, how much I'm gonna do it, however I wanna do it, all right? I'm gonna be the dominant force in my life. And then he comes to a conclusion. And we hear that conclusion at the end of this book of experimentation, um, the pearl that comes out of this great test in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says this, the last and final word is this, fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out in the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. Wow. Okay. So God includes someone just like you and me, someone who's got a lot of options, someone who's in a battle within for what will be the dominant force that has the most power and the most influence, okay? He runs the experiment and he lives to tell the result. And so we're getting the benefit of a man's hindsight so that you and I can have foresight, right? He's experienced it and now he's dropping the pearl, all right, which is precious. And the precious pearl is this. The last and final word is fear God. Let him be the dominant force in your life. What does it look like? Do what he tells you. And that's it. Why? Because there's a certain future reality that's going to happen, which is he's going to expose and judge, right? the basis for what we allowed to control our lives. He's gonna lay it in an open and he's gonna judge it. Not according to its intent that we convince ourselves of, but the hidden intent, right? Whether it's good or evil. Wow, okay. So there's a certain future reality. Solomon's run the experiment and man, he's pivoting. He's like, ha, here's the pearl fellas. and. And God put it in his word for us to read and see and learn from and make decisions out of, which is fear God, do what he tells you. That's it. Right? Make him the dominant force in your life. So let's make a few observations out of these scriptures, Proverbs 19 and Ecclesiastes 12. Number one, I have options personally. Write that down. Okay, you're, God created you in his image. Intellect, emotions, will, you're a free moral agent, you're not a robot. You have options personally. Number two, all right? 
while you, you and I have options personally, he prevails ultimately. Write that down. Yeah, you got options, but only one set of purposes prevailed, right? That's what it said in Proverbs 19. But, okay, we got options, but God's purpose prevails. Number three, I surrender presently. So I have options, but because I know that God's purposes prevail ultimately, I surrender presently, right? That's why Solomon says, fear God and do what he tells you now, not later, right? You know, for, and, and to the God who, who prevails ultimately in the end. That's what Solomon's trying to get across. It's like, fear God, do what he says, because in the end, he prevails, okay? And then number four, um, if, I, if I'm smart and, and do what the Bible says to do, which is to let God be the dominant force in my life, right? To, to surrender to the one who prevails ultimately in the present, he rewards me, write this down, eternally. So in return for our surrender to our maker and our savior, your faithfulness to his person, to his presence, and to his plan, Jesus says, gets rewarded. All right, let's read about that. In Matthew 25, says this. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter in to the joy of your master. Now, you got two characters, right? You have the slave entrusted with the stewardship of resources. Okay, you have the master, right, who is gone, but who returns, right? And so the slave, while the master is gone, knowing that the certain future reality of his return to his space, right, that slave then is faithful. He lets the certain reality of the future, right, be the dominating force in his life. And so what does that look like? Oh, he multiplies. He's a good steward of the resources that the master entrusted to him. Okay. So when he knows that's going to happen and he knows that the will of his master is going to prevail, that drives him in the presence to let that certain reality, that future reality be the driving force, be the dominant force, be the most powerful influence over his thinking and over his behavior. So, since God prevails, all right, what's our response? Write this down. I live with the end in mind. You wanna know if God's the dominating force in your life? All you have to do is compare your life to this fact. I live with the end in mind. I know there's a certain future reality. I know the master has entrusted me with things. I know that I have limited time and unknown ending in a scheduled meeting with the master. Therefore, that certain future reality and his will going to is going to prevail in that moment of that future reality. 
I'm gonna let him be the dominant force. Now, on your notes, I put the definition of prevail. Okay, it's a verb. It means to prove more powerful than opposing forces, to be victorious. Okay, so what we're saying here, just to again, kind of help us surrender to God being the dominant force in our life, is that since God proves more powerful in the end, right, and since God will be victorious above all in the end, we live with the end in mind. That's what smart men do. So now let's look in Matthew 10 at the first thing Jesus says will prevail, that will happen to you as an authentic follower, right? And he says Christ-likeness will prevail. And I want you to listen to this conversation uh, on discipleship with his men. Pay very close attention because if you're a believer, you and I are his disciple. He says this to his disciples, his students. Students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. I want you to pay attention to Jesus's juxtaposition of the student and the teacher, the slave and the master, and the process as they are in relationship, right? Um, students are to be like their teacher, slaves are to be like uh, their master. So you see that the process of knowing Jesus, our master, right? Knowing Jesus, our teacher, is that we become like him. We can't become him perfectly, but we can become like him, and that's God's process in the relationship. So there's a relationship between teacher and student. There's a relationship between, um, between master and slave. There's a relationship between the savior and the saved, right? The vine and the branch the potter and the clay, the shepherd and the sheep. And, and there's a process in that relationship and it's we're now being formed and transformed and conformed into his likeness. So when I say Christ's likeness prevails for the authentic believer, that means there's a dominant resemblance to Jesus in the life of the authentic believer, right? versus the synthetic believer, and there's a dominant experience, right, in the life of the authentic versus synthetic believer that mirrors Christ, all right? And so that's what we wanna look at now, right? We wanna look at four transformations um, for every believer that that, that move us from kind of synthetic to authentic follower, believer, that shows that we're becoming like Jesus. Number one, Jesus dies for sin. I die to sin. You know, when the Bible talks about how we are in Christ and how we are baptized into Christ, it's the picture of having like a white t-shirt and purple dye, right? And just imagine, you know, lowering the white t-shirt into the purple dye and letting it sit there, right? 
and then pulling that after a day or two, that, that white, formerly white purple shirt out of the purple dye, what color is the white shirt? Well, it's not white anymore, right? Because the cloth that is immersed in the dye, the dye has now, the character of the dye, the color of the dye has now pervaded the substance of the cloth. It's transformed, it's no longer white, it's purple. That's the picture of when you begin a relationship with God. It says you're baptized into Christ. And our old life, our old color, our old nature, our old ways, our old thinking, now it's a process of Jesus immersing ourselves in him. And as we're in Christ, his character begins to color our character and begin, his conduct begins to color our conduct. And so that's the spirit behind what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. He says this, We know that our old sinful selves, the white t-shirt, were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So Jesus dies for sin. We come into relationship with Jesus. We die to sin. What does that mean? It means there's just a loss of power. That's what Paul says. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. It means that we're identified now with Jesus's crucifixion. We're crucified with Christ. And what does that mean? Loss of power. Sin is no longer the dominant influence in my, in my life anymore. Now, can I sin? Sure. It's just no longer the dominant influence, right? It's not the dominant controlling factor, okay? And I think a lot of us can identify with that. You know, the before and the after? You know, the before Christ, after Christ, and then the ongoing battle right today that that rages okay where now god's pushing us he's pushing more sin out of our life he's he's getting into the smaller crevices and spaces maybe the big ones fell off quick and now it's about your thought life now it's about your private life now it's not about your image or what you're doing your activities your church attendance your bible study it's your thought life it's the inner life it's your inner attitudes, it's, it's how you're thinking, what you're letting into your mind, that type of thing. So, if Christ-likeness prevails and we are authentic versus synthetic believers, we'll become like Jesus, what, what does that mean? Number one, Jesus dies for sin, we die to sin, okay? Number two, Jesus comes alive physically, I come alive spiritually. Again, remember that image. The shirt goes into the dye and starts taking on the color. We come into Christ and now we begin to take on his character and his experiences. So Jesus dies for sin, we die to sin. Jesus comes alive physically on earth. We come alive spiritually on earth. He comes alive on earth for God's purposes. We come alive for God's purposes on earth. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. When he died, he died once 
to break the power of sin. We just talked about it. But now that he lives, okay, transition, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Okay, what does that look like? Right? I just remember in my own story, man, I remember when I met Jesus and I internalized for myself who he was, that he was God. I internalized for myself that he, that he lived a life and that he died a death for me and that he rose again, came alive to God and is living for God. When I just kind of got that and then just kind of made the connection, this is Jesus, Jesus is in me, this is me, okay. Jesus dies for sin, I die to sin. Jesus comes alive physically and spiritually for God on earth, guess what? I come alive spiritually for God on earth. What does that look like to come alive to God? It means we come alive to his purposes over our purposes, right? We come alive to his abiding, dominant presence, right? We come alive to his plan and seeking it and asking for it, it to be done. In, in our lives. And so you see that Christ's likeness in the authentic believer versus the synthetic believer prevails. What does that look like? A dominant resemblance to Christ in his character and in his experience, right? Third aspect of that is this. Jesus sits in full power and I have full access, parenthetically, to that same power. So remember, the shirt goes into the die. I'm fully identifying with Jesus, okay? In his character and is his experiences, in his position. Whoa. So what happened to him is happening to me in a spiritual sense. What's happened to him is happening to me in a spiritual sense. I'm dying to sin. I'm coming alive to God's purposes. And now Jesus, literally, physically, at the second right now that we're talking, he sits at the right hand of God in full power. So if I'm fully identified with Christ, if he fully defines me, which is what the Bible says, the Bible says I'm also seated with him. Okay, look at what it says in Ephesians 2, chapter 6. Listen to this, full identification. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Okay, remember the shirt and the die? We're fully united to him. What does that mean? It means that we're crucified with Christ, we're resurrected with Christ, we're seated with Christ. He dies for sin, we die to sin. He comes alive to God, we come alive to God. He's seated at the right hand of God in power and spiritually, supernaturally, we have access through him to that position and place and power. Come on. You ever had a full access pass granted to you for anything? It's like, okay, they put this little, little lanyard on you and it says full access. What does that mean? All right. It means that you're able to go to privileged places. You're able to go to privileged places, right? That not everybody 
can go to. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of God, you are crucified with Christ, resurrected with Christ, you're seated with Christ. What does that mean? Here you go. You have full access right now. Question is, are you taking advantage of that? We have full access to the full authority and power of God because we are united with Christ and we get to sit with him in that seat of power, right? As a fellow heir and child of God, we're sitting with him, we have access to that place and we can go to that place and we can call down the authority and the power of that seat into our present. Whoa, it's like calling in an airstrike, right? There's a power above, we have comms, and if you're an Air Force special ops person, a tactical combat controller, you have access and you can call down power, right? To defeat the bad guys, to defeat evil agendas, right? Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter two. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, all right? First family has access, all right? Man of God, this is why in my book, Overflow, which comes out very shortly, it's called Setting the Holy Spirit Loose in Your World. Men who have access, okay, they're seated with Christ, they have access to his power and can, through prayer and faith, call it down into the present. Are you doing that? Man, the world would be different if in the spaces of places where we take our bodies and the environments that we enter, in our neighborhood networks, our professional networks, our social networks, wherever we were physically or attached to from a life perspective, if we were calling down, using our access to shift environments toward God and toward his purposes, wow, that's what Jesus did. Jesus entered spaces and places where there were people and problems and situations and issues. And because he had, because he had access to the Father, he called down the power of the Father. We are in Christ. We have access to the Father. We are seated in the heavenly realms, okay? We have a direct line in. All believers have that through Christ. What does that mean for your present? It means that God becomes the dominating force where you are mindful of your seating with Christ and you call it down. What a privilege. So, we're crucified with Christ, we die to sin. We're resurrected with Christ, we come alive to God's purposes. We're seated with Christ, we get to call down because of our seating, power and presence of God into our context and spaces and places where we are. Number four, Jesus suffered as the Son of God. I suffer as a Son of God. Jesus suffers as the Son of God on earth, I suffer as a son of God on earth as well. Now, a lot of us are like, uh, I, like, I, like uh, I like the resemblance and the experience uh, one, two, and three, but this fourth one, not so sure I wanna sign up for that. Yeah, but gotta remember, Christ's likeness prevails. And so to be like Christ, right, you, you have to suffer as Jesus suffered 
as God is the dominant force in your life. God being the dominant force while you live on earth, people aren't going to go like, wow, that's so amazing, right? Why? Because earth is war. There's evil agendas and there's God's agenda. And God's redemptive agenda is being worked out to completion through God's people on earth. We get to agent that, right? But as we agent that, just like Jesus agent, agented the kingdom of God moving forward on earth, it led to this, this catharsis, this apex moment that would save the world. What was that? Suffering. Okay, look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. It says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. All right, we have the identity. And if children, heirs. Also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If, indeed, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the Son of God suffers on earth, and he's headed toward this moment of glory. And the moment of glory comes through the path of suffering. The, the, the context of the glory is the suffering. Great glory through the suffering. And for every authentic believer versus a synthetic believer, you'll see a dominant resemblance to Christ's character and you'll see a dominant experience, right? To Christ's experience, right? And I love what the Bible says here in Romans, Romans 8, where there is the sufferings of the present time, right? It's not forever. It's not fatal. It's not final. It's not forever, okay? Remember the three F's of suffering. It's not fatal. It's not final. It's not forever. Now, at the cross, did people observing that feel that it was fatal and final? And for, Yes, they did. But X factor, God's present, God's working, resurrection, seeding, glory, okay? You might be going through some really hard things right now. Just like Jesus went through the hard suffering of earth, many, many, many sufferings, ultimate suffering at the cross. Was God present with Jesus at that moment of ultimate suffering? Yes, he was. Did it make sense? Not even to him. It's the only time you see in the Bible where Jesus confronts the will of God and doesn't want to do it. But does he do it? Yes, he does. Now, if you take this cup from me, let it pass. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. And then he goes through the suffering. Glory. The glory comes on the other side of suffering. This is Jesus. Jesus is the dominant force in you. And this is you. And some of you right now, you, man, you needed to hear that. Doesn't have to make sense. It certainly doesn't make sense with how you're feeling, either physically or emotionally. It's confusing, it's disillusioning. It might even be unjust, the suffering that you're, that you're going through. Well, the good news is, is that's making you more like Christ because it was confusing, it was disillusioning, it was unjust with Jesus. But God was present in it, God was purposeful in it, God was redemptive in it, 
And on the other side of that suffering came glory. And that's where God is taking you to right now. Precious things are produced through suffering and pressure. Listen to the people who've been through a lot of suffering and come out the other side. And you'll hear pearls of insight that you would not learn anywhere else. Diamonds, pearls, right? They come out of the crucible of pressure, whether it's water pressure and getting holed up in a clamshell or the pressures of earth and heat and pressure and time, right? Precious things take time. Christ-likeness takes choices to surrender to God in the presence of suffering, trusting God in the presence of suffering, prophesying promises in the presence of suffering to produce Christ-likeness. The process is producing the product that is precious. And some of you needed to hear that. So you're gonna continue to surrender to God and let him be the dominant force in your life, not just when things are going good, but especially now when there are mountains and challenges in front of you and you don't know how, you're gonna overcome them. Well, I'm here to tell you, man of God, God is with you and God is going to help you and you need to do what Jesus did. You need to surrender to God in the presence of your suffering and say, God, i be honest with you, I don't like this, but your will be done, not my will. And release this moment of suffering to him. And then something beautiful and something marvelous is gonna happen in you. You're gonna become like Christ and the glory of God's gonna start flowing your way. Trust me, why? The white shirt, the purple dye, you're united with Christ, not just in his character, but in his experience. So God's process prevails in God's man. And in the scripture, what I love, and we're gonna close with this, is just to see this process that we're talking about, this, this Christ-likeness prevailing in God's man, and where there's, there's a desire for the resemblance, and there's a desire for the experience of Christ because a man is fully united with Christ. Listen to these words. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I wanna know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So here you got a guy, and he realizes that he's in a process, 
that is prevailing and he's cooperating with the process. What process is that? God is forging Christ-likeness in the crucible of his delays, in the forge of his difficulties, in the fire of his trials and tribulations and temptations. Whoa. He's, he's working it. He's a work in process. Now, here's the important thing as we close. That process of Christ-likeness will prevail in the authentic versus synthetic believer. Okay, look at what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. There has never been the slightest doubt, <laughs> love that language, in my mind that the God who started this great work in you, Christ-likeness, would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad to be a work in process, right? We're not perfected right now. We're just works in process. Somebody says, hey, how's it going with the Lord? You just say, I am a work in process. Say it out loud with me. I am a work in process. There. That eliminates perfectionism, but it also requires cooperation. I'm a work in process. I am in the process of surrendering to God in every dimension of my life. Why? Because he's smarter than me and he made me. Why? Because I have this experience with him rooted in the cross where I have received kindness, mercy, love, and grace. And I'm going to let him be the dominant force in my life. I'm going to surrender because I'm becoming like the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus Christ. The student will become like his teacher. The slave will become like their master. Even in the midst of tremendous, and especially in the midst of tremendous suffering, because we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, right? Christ-likeness is gonna prevail. And in the days to come, you're gonna look more like him and you're gonna experience what he experienced. Let's go to God in prayer now and let's seal the truth that God has deposited into our hearts. Father, we know that you are wise and you are powerful and you have an intention. You're the creator of the universe, Heavenly Father. We are the created ones and so it just makes sense to surrender to you right now. We surrender our lives to you our Creator, and our Heavenly Father. But Lord, it makes more than just intellectual sense. Experientially, it makes even more complete sense to surrender to you because you're the person in our lives who's been ultimately kind in Christ, ultimately merciful through Christ, ultimately loving in Christ, and ultimately gracious through Christ. And we know that you're making us like Jesus. That's the vision you have for us. 
to become like him in our character and our experience. And so we surrender too to dying to sin. Jesus, you died for sin. We surrender to you, which means we're going to die to sin. Help us die to sin. And help us be alive to God. Lord, you were crucified. You were resurrected. You came alive on earth to God and for his purposes. And so, Lord, we ask that you would make us in the inner man alive to God and your purposes. And then, Lord, help us to remember that like you, Jesus, because when we're united with you, we're seated with Christ. And because we're seated, we have access to the power and presence of God in every space and place where we live. We can speak into it because we can call down the kingdom of God into the realms of earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And then, Jesus, we surrender to the process, especially when it comes to our challenges, our delays, our difficulties, our trials, our temptations right now. Lord, our tribulations, Lord, on earth. Jesus, you suffered on earth as the Son of God. We accept our suffering as a Son of God so that we can become like the Son of God according to your will. Thank you that that will prevail. Thank you that the work that you began in us, you're going to complete, and you're going to bring it to a great finish on the very day that we meet you face to face. So we thank you and we ask for this process to continue and for you to be the dominant force in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and God's men said, amen. Please pass this live stream along. My guess is there's one other guy in your life that you could bless tremendously if you send it along to him, all right? God bless and we'll see you next week.